You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players and all about strategy, leveling up and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Brendan, old him or gone him. Mm. Well, yep. <clears throat> more like. <laughs> Bravo still sucks. Stop coping. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of Bravo copium on Twitter. People thinking that Bravo is going to be the new the new deck in town. <clears throat> I don't think so. Um, I do think Jeremiah stocks go up though. And we had a amazing deck guide by ENTCG recently on <clears throat> the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel as well as I think the most comprehensive, well written deck guide we've ever had. Would you agree, Hayden? Oh, easily, easily, easily. Yeah. easily. Wow, I can't believe you went straight for the Bravo players, though. Not even a minute into the podcast. Those poor Bravo players. What are your thoughts? I'm actually keen to get your thoughts if you think that, um, you know, off the back of Oldham leaving, a sort of derivative hero in the form of Bravo that has access to, you know, a lot of the same cards is going to be a viable and playable deck. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think it it already (laughs) is to a degree. It's in that kind of maybe tier three range at the moment in this current metagame, but... Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see. Look, the mid is gonna shift massively. I mean, this in this pod we're gonna talk mostly about the the breakdown of Antwerp, Road to Nationals data so far. The current meta as we head through this kind of midway point of the Road to National season, we've got a couple of battle hardens, calling Singapore, last few weeks of Road to Nationals, and then we are concluding the outsider season and moving very fast towards Dust or Dawn, of course. But Ultim won't be joining us in Dust or Dawn. We know that already with Pablo's uh, win securing that. It's look, it's it's interesting. Living Legend. I mean, we're now going to be at four heroes for Living Legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard that if you remember James White saying, you know, they're looking for four heroes to start the Living Legend format. <laughs> this gives us our fourth hero. In terms of what that means for Class Constructed, well, I mean, we can we can chat about that. But I, I think you know, Ultim has been kind of this. Ultim is one of the heroes that had the biggest impact on the format, but just got the Living Legend points the slowest, right? We, do you remember we kept saying on multiple pods, wow, Ultim's like impacting this format, yet wasn't winning events. You know, Ultim's doing this, but wasn't winning events. And Prism kind of felt that way until we got to that road to national season. And it's been similar here. You know, we get to this outsider season and Ultim has been quite dominant through the first couple weeks of road to nationals. Plus, you know, of course, Michael Fing's pro tour win and this calling win as well. Yeah, I just think a lot of decks, there isn't really something to fill the the shoes of old him. Um, I think as we've sort of progressed in flesh and blood, the attacking, uh, the value you can get out of attacking rather than defending has just been greater. Um, but old him sort of broke that paradigm with the crown of seeds and with the defensive tools that were a part of that deck. And it, gave, it sort of gave it the ability to play a value game plan while on attack and on defense, where I think a lot of other decks were mostly just focusing um, on the offense. Yeah, old him, old him living the format, I think, is one of the most exciting things to happen to flesh and blood. I don't know if it's going to be a good thing. The The big question is whether old him being in the format and controlling it however it did was actually a positive or a negative. I think a lot of people <laughs> reflect on it immediately as a negative, but you can never really see those ramifications early. We saw that with Prism. I thought when Prism left... The format would suck, and the format got so much better, I feel like, when Prism left, actually. Uh, Hayden, I do want to ask you, though, in regards to Living Legend format, do you think Living Legend format would be better if it was only the heroes that were Living Legend, or if it was an open format, so you could play any hero? Uh, I mean, there's just not enough here. Like, the game isn't old enough at this point to to have that, I think. I think just keep it to the... Living Legend heroes, and honestly, are we even four heroes? That's such a small, you know. That's basically welcome to race, right? Obviously, the card pool's bigger, but you know, the power level of these heroes is it actually be that enjoyable a format? I, I don't know. Interesting. I know some people have already played some games, so I, I would prefer it to stay probably as as a true Living Legend format if that's the way it goes. Uh, we'll see. I mean, at the moment, focuses on class constructed limited. We've got Blitz, of course, as well. This will be a fourth format, plus you know things like UPF. Um, one thing I want to say about Ultim is. The blues have really defined what Ultim has done, and it's it, that's why Bravo stands a chance to be impactful in the you know in the impending formats because of the power of these blues. You know these these cards like Thunderquake, like Macho Grande, like Terra Sunder. You know it's similar to Icelander. These these heroes that have gained this power through consistency of how good their blues are, plus you know of course Crown of Seeds and uh, and Rampart etc. Um, the other thing that I laughed a lot at on twitter over the week was people coming out you know in the lead up to 
this season. So, you know, the past sort of year to two years almost since since Ultima's been around. Just the hate for Ultima and Ice in this format. You know, it ruins the game. You know, this and this. There's a vocal, albeit minority, you know, saying mm-hmm. this. And then all of a sudden, the narrative just switches as soon as Ultima hits Living Legend. It's so bad for the format. Living, You know, Ultima was such a good regulator for the format and all this. Yes. It's just, Starvo it makes me laugh. Basically, the same thing happened with Starvo. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I think that it wasn't a vocal minority that claimed about Starva. I think it was a vocal majority. But, you know, Starva left and there was a vocal minority. It was like, oh, yeah, well, we, we missed Starvo. <laughs> um, Hayden, speaking of Twitter, you reminded me of something. And I just got to ask you, do you think that Flesh and Blood is a loot box game? Oh, of course. <laughs> I don't even... Is there a debate? Uh, I mean, honestly, I have... I'm not even going to mention that person's name because I have zero time for that individual. At being someone who's been around magic for a long time, that individual... Uh, was always someone that anyway it's not even worth talking it's, about I, I just want to bring it up because it's probably one of the most viral things that's ever happened in flesh and blood it was like absolutely popped off um yeah it, it, like hayden said if, you, if you're not aware of this person this is uh par for the course to say the least but uh yeah flesh and blood in our opinion not a loot box game very much you know i mean probably has one of the best organized play programs of any game that exists right now uh and that's why we do what we do but just wanted to just wanted to poke the fire a little bit yeah, clearly stoke the flames. Yeah. Look, I mean, th- I do have some issues with some of the, yeah, the legendary rarity yeah. system in Flesh. Yeah, like, you know, to you know, if you want to get out there and you want to get in the game right now and secure yourself a, a tunic, a crown of providence, some uh, command and conquer, some e-strikes, that sucks. And that is an issue, I think, that LSS need to address in, in some way. But also they need to respect the collectors and, and the players you know with with their cards so it's a it's a tough one i i mean i that is the that is the biggest issue from a, a collectability and playability standpoint facing the the studio right now um i have confidence that you know they've got ways to address that i think we're going to see some interesting things with dust or dawn i wouldn't be surprised to see you know some of the tunic for instance get a reprint um you know i think they're gonna to have to continually do this like I saw some things, people talking about history packs and the kind of idea of how that brings cards into the market. It probably hasn't had, it's again been a bit more of a, hey, here's a origin product and here's a language piece and here's some introduction and here's some big about collectability, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't think that's quite the answer, but we'll, we'll see as we go through. Yeah. All right. Well, in better news, let's talk about your week in flesh and blood because uh, rattled off some, some W's over there, didn't you? I had a good weekend. Yeah, I mean, I was absolutely, is fizzing the right word? I'm going to use fizzing. Uh, <laughs> after watching Pro Tour Baltimore, you know, a couple of weeks ago, seeing Brendan Patrick on the desk uh, in the booth, casting games, watching, you know, Michael Fink take down Baltimore. Uh, I just wanted to play Flesh and Blood. I was sad to be missing Baltimore. So, Road to Nationals rolls around. First weekend or the the kind of 0.5 weekend was for Europe and parts of Asia. No, no call, uh, no Road to Nationals here. This weekend, got to play two Class Constructor Road to Nationals. Had a great time. Uh, went to the finals of both. Played Ultim. I think, you know, I've never been an Ultim player, really. I took the opportunity to, to get some some time with Ultim before he hits Living Legend. And, yeah, I mean, picked up some nice prizes over the weekend So and secured my, my Nationals invite. So now all eyes towards Singapore for me. Bit of testing and uh, working out what I'm, what I'm going to play and, and what my deck's going to look like. Yeah, I think that the old time list that you guys are on now is a lot more fun <laughs> for your for your type of playstyle than some of the ones that we had sort of waffled with in the past, some of the more defensive ones. So mm-hmm. I could see why you, you're enjoying it now. For me, uh, No Road to Nationals, the closest one was about five hours away, which is all good. But this upcoming weekend, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh casting the Realm Games, Battle Heart, uh, Road to Nationals, and... Yeah, I'm ex- I'm really excited for that. Realm Games also they just announced. I don't know if you've heard, but they announced that in 2024 they're doing a a circuit with top of the 50k tournament, which is fucking crazy. Like yeah. grassroots tournament is putting up 50k in the United States. It's absolutely wild. Um, those guys they've been sort of setting the setting the scene for a long time now, and I'm happy that it paid off because I went to uh, some of those the first few of those Realm Game events where you know maybe the turnout wasn't quite there, definitely wasn't wasn't profitable even close to break even, and it makes me very happy that we've maybe come to the other side of that cycle where this is starting to become more sustainable practice for them because I think this is this is really what will make the flesh and blood competitive scene level up. It's not more. Uh, maybe you know one more pro tour from LSS. It's these grassroots tournaments getting involved and giving us a, a bunch more events to sort of use as a competitive outlet. Yeah, I think a lot of different regions in the world and communities can take, 
you know a cue from this we've seen it with uh the as age in or age in the west coast mm-hmm. as well with what they're doing in california i think that's another great sort of look into that as well i'd love to i mean i've heard a bit, bits and pieces about what sort of countries in europe have been doing i know it's a little bit tougher because of population size and, and distribution but um you know asia i know places like hong kong and singapore have been trying to you know sort of run these community series and i think it is a great way to you know i play i remember playing one in australia that was uh, done by a community member noah it was sort of around like the COVID time when australia couldn't really go to we couldn't travel but you know we could have events again and to bring sort of some of the best players and even your city or region or, or whatever it is it just it just creates this competitive drive i think lss can supplement that a little bit you know obviously battle hardens is a way they're doing that i think you know, additional callings would be the way they really kind of drive yeah. that kind of that that spirit and that atmosphere. And obviously, it means that you you know, not, there's nothing like a a calling or a big event when you're in that hall, right? Whether you're there to play the main event or you're there to play side events. And so, I think that's obviously a great way to drive both. Um, but sans that, things like what Realm Games are doing with us, I think, are, are ways to drive it. So. Yeah, I mean, you're off there, and then uh, I think there's one more re- weekend of Road to Nationals. So, do you have a? Are you playing a Road to Nationals for the last weekend? I know we just got the call. We got the announcement of the calling and US <laughs> yes, Nationals. nationals. Which is very exciting. Well, a funny story. I actually yeah. tweeted about it, complaining about it, and they literally posted it three hours after. Um, I was like, <laughs> "What the hell is going on?" And someone was like replying to my tweet a few hours later, and like just with the link. I- I'll-, I'll complain earlier next time. I promise. Um, am I playing Road to Nationals? I believe that's the weekend, the doubleheader of Oklahoma. And yeah, I'll definitely be playing those because I also need to get an invite. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you need to take down some certain wolf pack. Members. Yeah, imagine associating yourself with that canine pack. I can. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. So I think I'll be playing, but we can just skip to this because I know it's going to be a question. I think I'll be playing U.S. Nationals because I haven't heard about you know attending it in a different capacity. And I'm excited, Hayden. I do feel really bad for all those people that, you know, they've gotten they've gotten a few wins in since my hiatus. I'll say that. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since a Road to Nationals win for Brent Patrick, but he <laughs> will be there. <laughs> it's true. Well, our nationals are on the same weekend. So I'm sure we'll, you know, end up working and testing together for that. So that's exciting. Yeah. Should we should we hit some news? Let's do it. So I guess best place to uh, start would be, I mean, let's, let's shout out Antwerp. I mean, Antwerp over the weekend, I tuned in to watch some coverage from the event. Pablo Pintor, I mean, what a machine. <laughs> pretty good, uh, this, eh? this guy is just, yeah. yeah, you know, and he, you know, no one's like, oh, Pablo is this player. Pablo is like adaptable. He played Ultim this time around. He's been known for his more aggressive style of play. Uh, I think even in the, I don't quite remember this, on the team calling, I want to say he, maybe he played Ultim there or Kano. Like he didn't play a deck that people would maybe necessarily think he would. At this point, you know, multiple calling top eights, multiple calling wins, a pro tour win, two pro tour top eights. Uh, it's just, I, so yeah, because he also topped the New Jersey calling as well. So I think that's three or four calling top eights for him as well. So, mm. I mean, just firmly cementing himself in the realms of top three players in the world right now uh and you know hamilton's got some challenger for you know i mean like honestly it doesn't matter these guys are all amazing amazing players and it doesn't matter but it is a fun to sort of uh you know put them out there and debate and sort of say you know who is the best uh regardless of whether there's a a right or wrong answer um but yeah watching watching the coverage pablo played uh very cleanly was awesome to watch. Big shout out to friend of the show and someone who worked with our group for Worlds, Gabe Share, making his first, you know, premier event top eight, uh, top eight in the calling. I think he made it way to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, losing to Azuri. Azuri went to the final. That's also another piece of exciting news that we'll, I'm sure, chat about. But yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Gabe because Gabe is a, a very nice individual and a good player. I spoke to the Sunflower Samurai guys. Um, before Worlds, or at least one of them who spoke on behalf of the group. And uh, they mentioned that Pablo and a lot of the people in that playtest group actually don't play very much. <laughs> so they have a very relaxed approach to, to card games. He's like, yeah, they, they really don't play as well. Because I remember asking them, I was like, what is your testing schedule? What does it look like? And like, yeah, you know, people, if they want to play games in Discord, then they're good. And he's like, just casually one of the best players in the world. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, pa- Pablo is a very approachable uh, likable dude and, and seems pretty chill so i'm not i'm not that surprised yeah. uh i want to give a shout out to lss and uh, i don't know if you saw this but i had an article go up on fabtcg.com last week uh about playing in the top cup playing in the top eight events you know dealing with 
pressure, sort of some tips and tricks on how to, you know, maybe it's you can be your first road to national season, make your first top eight, what to expect and, and how to navigate it. So I um, just want to say a big thanks to LSS and fabtcg.com for giving me the chance to write that article. It is up there now. You can check that out and I hope it's helpful for this road to national season. How'd you like uh, revisiting writing content? It's been a while, eh? You used to be a little CFB writer. That's how I met Hayden Dale, by the way, because he gave me an in because I actually wrote for CFB at one point too. Uh, he gave you actually gave me the in to sort of get that contract, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's been a been a been a long time for you. How did you enjoy it? I think it's honestly been uh, well over eighteen months since I wrote an article, since I did a written piece of content, and I enjoyed it. I mean, I really like writing. I having done a thesis. Well, some some years ago now, <laughs> um, I was going to say a few years ago. It's a bit more than that now. Uh, I I do miss it. I do miss writing. I do miss kind of um, that style of of writing as well, informative writing. But you know what? It's it's it is a bit time consuming. It is harder to get your point across. I do prefer the medium that we have with the, the podcast mm-hmm. and the Arsenal Pass channel. But uh, I'm really thankful to Alexis for allowing me to do that and uh, put that kind of info out there. And I had fun writing it. Uh, I don't think I'm going to return to. <laughs> Written content anytime yeah, soon. It's a, it's a lot of juice you're trying to you're trying to squeeze out. I don't know if the I don't know if it's worth it. it it's a lot. I think that it can be quite cathartic in the end. Uh, it can be very rewarding if it's well received. But in terms of written content, uh, at least this is kind of how it was in CFB. Sometimes it's well received. Sometimes it kind of just never <laughs> gets seen, and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, but it, it does exist there forever. That's what's nice. I know going to look back at like some of the old Magic articles um, can be really cool, right? Like really get those like mm-hmm. legendary like who's the beatdown articles, things like that. Yeah, I, I have a couple that I wrote for CFB that I still send to people that I think uh, you know really relevant. You know, I, I wrote a big article on like the use of equipment, which I think still stands the test of time. And I think if people want to know about how to use their equipment, I mean, we also did a podcast on it, yeah. I think, uh, around sort of 50 episodes ago, but, you know, things like that. So, no, no, it's interesting. I think it's harder to, I can just ramble and be less articulate here and, and that seems more fun. So Yeah, I have, a, I have an article <laughs> about how to play Kano and this was pretty wildfire. This is like Arcane Rising, Crucible 4 Kano. Blitz. Yeah, Blitz yeah. Kano. Oof, the old days. Also in the news, Road to Nationals kicked off this past weekend. Uh, we'll be touching on, you know, the full, full I guess, kickoff of Road to Nationals with what data we do have. Uh, we talked about Antwerp already. Living Legend for Ultima, of course. US Nationals announced. We did just kind of allude to that before. Uh, details for that. Uh, it is in Vegas, Brendan, which I you know not not that much of a surprise. Yeah, it's uh, it's West Coast, which is nice. I think a lot of the events have been East Coast, uh, which you know it's fine, right? You either go West West Coast or East Coast, and you just pick one. But uh, I know a lot of the people on the West Coast were kind of being like, "Can we please have another event?" So we finally have it. I really wish that they. I'm biased. I live in Texas. I wish that they would go central because I have to fly to each coast every single time. And nowadays, dude. I feel like every time I buy a, f- a freaking plane ticket, and if if yeah, I even go ridiculous. twenty minutes somewhere, it's five hundred dollars. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I do hope that they eventually go back to Dallas because Dallas is such a big hub, and it'll be in between everybody. But Vegas, Vegas is it's okay. I'm not a huge fan of Vegas. I'm, I think you're either a fan of Vegas or you're not. For me, it's just very mm-hmm. very medium. I'd rather not be in Vegas, but it's super convenient to fly to, and the convention center is convenient with the hotels and stuff like that. So, yeah, all good with me. I'd rather it be there than you know in some obscure place on the East Coast, like Baltimore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> is vegas the west coast i guess yeah i guess it's closer to the west coast i you know what i'm also not a big fan of vegas uh it's funny i was chatting to the tall to me yeah. i'm sure people are very familiar with tall to me local to me here in sydney and we'd we'd heard a rumor that vegas was going to be the location and we were both looking at well mostly him was looking at flights and just it's just ridiculous at this point like in time. I'm, 2K, I'm right? getting really, yeah, I'm getting, I mean, minimum, minimum. more like 3K from Australia. I was, I'm, get, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about the fact we've heard nothing about Worlds. I mean, we've heard, hey, there's an announcement coming. Wait, there's an announcement coming on this date. There's an announcement of the announcement. I'm getting a little bit worried about Worlds and, uh, you know, just cost of travel for people, including myself. You know, mm-hmm. it's definitely a personal concern as well. So, I really hope we hear something soon. But anyway, I digress. US Nationals, August 25th to 27th, 2023 in las vegas at the westgate las vegas resort um yeah best of luck to all the so, players trying to qualify for the next two weeks yeah i actually didn't dig into that it's literally at the westgate it's not the convention center that's right next to the westgate um 
great question. Yeah. I mean, it says Westgate here. Yeah. You, you usually, so when they do the convention center in Vegas, you basically, if you're going to book a hotel, you book West, Westgate because there is a little, you know, hop, skip and a jump on the train and you're right there. Uh, but in the actual Westgate would be pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it says, it says the Westgate Las Vegas Resort has a TCG history that runs deep and we could not be more excited to be hosting the largest national championship of 2023 and calling it this iconic venue. Wow. So maybe, maybe, maybe it is. I, I don't know. I've but heard some people anyway. are banned from the Westgate. <laughs> a little too rambunctious <laughs> on, the, on the Vegas weekend. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, I mean, there's a bit of news this week, Brendan. Dust of Dawn exclusives update. I don't know if you saw this, but, you know, at Baltimore, it was revealed that there be these 10 copies of chain and prism hand-drawn by the artists uh in these packs released as collectibles for belgian print run only so available to europe and north america basically uh lss have gone back on that maybe made some changes heard the the response from players especially in in, in asia uh in the apac region who felt maybe that was a, a bit unfair, uh, you know, considering their loyalty to the game and and their want for the collectability and access to potentially opening one of these amazing cards. And now there will be some of these limited prints in the Japanese run. I mean, look, I'm pretty sure on this podcast we've dunked on uh, Wizards for some of their distribution of, of very exclusive it's fine we can dunk on lss for this like it, it's 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 cheap like i like that it's hand-drawn that's cool um fred from Frederico. but yeah hopefully this is more of like a very exclusive thing where you do have these hand-drawn pieces if we go to like full-on serialized cards and maybe separate separate types of booster boxes etc i would support yeah. it i would support it if they put the money back into the game but if it doesn't go back into the game i'll dunk on them all day <laughs> i'll dunk on them all day now, this is a good way to do it, honestly. Like, I it's take issue with, like, collector boosters and all those things that other games do. I think, you know what? Put this really exclusive, really sort of amazing, very really hand-touch of what the game is about into the packs and, and leave it there. And um, it's nice that they've decided to try and distribute to this worldwide, not just yeah. a certain region. In general, I think across the board with things that are purely cosmetic in, in games, if they cost more or they're in some sort of separate booster box or they're secret, I'm okay with it. Like, go for it. Make money. It's cosmetic. It doesn't affect the game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, whatever. Cool. Uh, Brendan, from your side, I think a couple of videos have gone up mm -hmm. on... Arsenal Pass YouTube channel. Yep, two deck tacks. One is a Lexi deck tack with top eight Pro Tour competitor, Brody Spurlock, Flesh and Blood Prodigy. So check that out. Also deck tack, deck guide on the Patreon. In addition, we have Pro Tour top nine competitor in <laughs> TCG. Yeah, unfortunately bubbled out at ninth there. Um, does give us a big Dromai deck tech. And if you saw Ian's match at the Pro Tour, it was absolute masterclass. He's a fantastic Dromai player. And like we talked about, Probably one of the most well-written, comprehensive, and just mm. beautifully laid out. The aesthetics of that document were amazing. Um, deck deck and deck out we've ever had. So check that out on the Arsenal Pass Patreon if you're looking for extra tips for Big Jermai. Yeah, and if you if you don't know who Ian is, Ian has had a pretty stellar sort of record already in this game. He top-aided Pro Tour Lille. He's top 16 every Pro Tour, uh, including this one, obviously, at ninth. A couple, of, I think a couple of calling top eights as well. Um, you know, just amazing run and consistent. One of the most consistent players on the Pro Tour now just uh, wants to get his W, which I'm sure will come very soon. Yep. And uh, I did on a previous podcast incorrectly say that I thought he lived in Amsterdam. He does live in The Hague. <laughs> so my bad. Ian. Oh, there you go. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> anyway, still speaking of The Hague, let's throw some shrimpies on that Barbie Hayden. We got a command to cook out for this week from Emperor. Oof. Almost got me with tides? that one. Oh, tides. <laughs> I like, you can imagine how I almost read that. <laughs> All right. Hey, why don't you read this out? I recover. Uh, sure. So if you want to get your mind and cook out questions, and uh, please do so. We've got some space, some questions coming up. You can uh, drop them in the YouTube comments below. Let us know it's a command and cookout question. You can, if you're an Arsenal Pass patron, like the emperors, you can drop them in to the Discord channel in our Commander Cookout channel. Uh, you can email them through to us at arsenalpassfab.gmail.com. And this question is, how do you guys feel about 90-day XP being the only qualifier outside of Road to Nationals for this national season? Do you like 90-day XP in general? I find the rolling 90-day XP metric pretty useless as events from the past are constantly dropping off. 
XP decay is, is what's been discussed there. So, so you lose an unknown amount of points unless you have a system you've personally put together to track this. Not to mention, you don't know how much other people will be losing that affects their ranks as well. There's also no tracking shown on... So you can't see how it adjusted over time mm -hmm. unless you are keeping detailed notes yourself. If they insist on using this 90-day metric, it'd be much more useful to display the 90 days that matter on your profile page. That way you can log in and only see the amount you've accumulated for the specific time frame season and don't have to worry about any unexpected setbacks you'd only ever be counting on. Yes, I think that that would rely on the website being coded better than it is in terms of like actual updating. Um, so maybe that will happen in the future. Let's answer the core question. Do you like 90 day XP as being the sole qualifier for nationals? I'll say no. <laughs> I'll say no. And people will push back really hard because like, that's, that's how people support their local game store. And this is what fuels the game. You know what? You can have that one. I agree. That's totally mm -hmm. fine. But from the competitive side of things, the idea that the most efficient way to qualify for one of these things, at least consistently, because winning a road to nationals, and I think this is one of the most dog water takes possible in flesh and blood, is like, if you're a good player, you're just guaranteed to win one. It's not true. You're favored to win one, but maybe you can't travel to all of them. Maybe you can only go to one. Maybe mm -hmm. you can't get in. Like, it's just not a good argument. And then you could just get not, you just get a little bit unlucky, I guess. So I just, I don't like that this is the only way to qualify. It feels super weird, especially when the national champion does get an immediate invite to sort of <laughs> defend the title. Um, and ELO, I think that ELO would be fine. I don't know what. You know, how, where you would go on ELO, top 10, top X, I don't know. But yeah, solely 90 day XP. It's just for some reason, it just feels kind of meh to me. It, it doesn't feel great. What about you, Hayden? I got a lot to say on this topic because <laughs> I thought about it a lot over the weekend because I played a road to nationals on Saturday. As I said, you know, booked my ticket on Saturday. And then I thought, you know, I could stop playing these. And is that better for? other players but also i really want to be playing flesh and blood and i don't think i should feel bad if i've bought my entry ticket and i want to play these events these are events in, in my city and opportunities to play some of the best players in in my area and, and you know get the reps and etc play play the game i love i want to be playing and i think you know maybe that there's some disincentivization there but anyway i want to talk about some of the first of all the positives of of the system right the, the positives of exactly what you just said it drives play to the local stores it means that road to nationals you know fill up or get a lot of players in there through the door to play these events and, and try and you know get their invite if not you know they've got obviously double the xp you get from an armory win so you get to rack up that xp so it, it works well it means that armories are full i mean in the lead up to Roach Nationals, armories are at their peak, right? Like everyone is out there grinding that that XP, right? So it is it is really great for the stores. It's it's great for for the game and for these armory scenes as well. Uh, you know, the other thing as well, I think that it means that the the, the Roach National system, the way it works, is that the invites kind of effectively drop down because if multiple people are top fouring, then that just means more room for XP invites, right? Because events are well at least in, in most countries uh, events are capped at a certain number i think in the us it, it works a bit differently right because there's a the nationals is huge but um you know you've got some effective drop down so those are all positives i guess the negatives on that side is like you said you know the the also oh, sorry the other positive as well is that you means that you're the top players in your area and your region are playing the events which is a great way to test your medal and and you know get great games and i think i think that that's good for a community um good for players developing you get to play the best because they have to go and play to, to punch their invite as well the i guess the negative is that you've got some of the the best players in the world who you know might not even qualify yes the argument is they could use a pti I understand that um but you know when you can kind of be on the gravy train, so to speak, through ELO and, and get your invites to Pro Tours and Worlds by continually putting up results. Someone like Ian, like you did a deck tick with, who's just consistently in that top mm -hmm. 16, consistently there or thereabouts, these big events, um, you know, and maybe Ian can't make it to a Road to Nationals for whatever reason. Maybe, you know, XP is, it's it's low XP for these these big events. It's not six points per win like it is for, uh, for a Road to Nationals or a, a skirmish season event. So there is some negatives there and I think I would like to, my personal take is I would like to see, you know, maybe top five limited and constructed ELO of the country get an invite for instance. Just mm -hmm. allow, open it up to these players who are turning themselves into quote unquote professional players, but maybe, you know, they come off the back of a pro tour, straight into a road to national season, give, give them some bit of downtime yeah. potentially and give them an opportunity. Why would you want to have a national championship tournament and not not 100% at least invite the top five players in that nation. I just, I don't think that that 
is a good aspect of this. And you're right. You can go out, you can go play Zero to National, you can get your invite, or you can go on 90 to XP and that's fine. Like, but I also agree with you that if there's a nationals tournament, I don't want there to be sort of any any way of prohibiting some of those players that are already working in other events, already working on pro tours, been successful in pro tours, worlds, and for them to just not get invited. It just feels unfortunate to me. That's what I don't like about it. Um, 90 day XP overall. It's not really going to happen though. Yeah. It's not really going to happen though, is it? Like that is the good thing is we can say all this. It's not really going to happen. The circumstances where people can't really play road to nationals is going to be few and far between the, you know, there's a lot of road to nationals, a lot of chances to qualify. Plus these players can still be playing and qualifying XP. Like it, we, we are saying this and we are saying these things just as a sort of answer to this question and discussing, mm-hmm. but the likelihood of these things happening, I think is quite low. But once it does happen and we hear a case <laughs> of it, that's a feels bad. Like imagine if a ma- national champion doesn't qualify to play and that is that is i do agree with you that the national champion should be at the national championship to defend the title yeah um and then just to extrapolate on top of that i've always i've had my own issues with 90 xp um mostly because like i'm pretty sure online still events still happen they're happening like two three months ago i know that i have not heard about this yeah i i I have tried to corroborate this uh brendan patrick but i have i have not been able to so if anyone in the comments wants to corroborate yeah i was on the um the combat chain podcast and they were talking to me about how they're uh juicing some online events for 90 day xp i also think that 90 day xp at least at least in the past did lead to some sort of unfortunate play experiences where people would be asking for people to concede to them because they were on, just on the cusp um, i know locally in terms of how the pro tour invites work uh it does piss off some of my locals a lot and this is like a super niche like corner case but it's prevalent because brody spurlocks wins all of our events so people in my locals are like collectively so angry about this because someone always feels like they deserved an invite which i think is a total fallacy and they didn't get it because brody won and he already had an invite um yeah i just know that that's the whole the way the invites go out right now it's like it feels bad for some people i don't think there's validity to it but i just want to give give that take because i hear it every single time i hang out with my locals (laughs) i really do i heard in the freaking airport dude i heard in the airport as i was traveling to the pro tour i ran into some locals they were talking to me how pissed off they were about brody not conceding to them at least road to nationals is is, uh top four look i i I played a a player a local player in top eight on sunday who had like the best attitude about our match you know he wasn't worried about the top four he was like I'm here to play. Uh, you know, I'm playing a lot of events. I'll I'll qualify on XP if I have to. You know, I'm going to try and win one of these. I was like, great attitude. You know, I love that. Um, I want to say one one issue. You know, you, we said top five Elo. That was my thing, and you, you kind of agree with me. I was just, you know, play devil's advocate to myself. The Elo system is a little bit shaky, right? Like you go to a pro tour, you could have been uh 180th in the world and all of a sudden you're top five or vice versa you know you lose two more matches and you've gone from top 10 to you know around big the middle swings, of the pack yeah. so yeah it's a really big swing so maybe it's not the best system look i i think i overall i don't have that many problems with it i just wanted to kind of show both sides of the argument here as we talk through it um one thing i will say is i think emperor is right like a 90-day leaderboard for the lead up to the, the cutoff point would be super beneficial for players right because everyone's running these freaking trackers they having to do like mental gymnastics oh the skirmish season is their decay from the first week but not the second week of the skirmish like all the stuff trying to work out where the cutoff point is <clears throat> just do just do a uh road to nationals leaderboard from the the cutoff date 90 days backwards yeah bro if they did a road to nationals leaderboard that'd be so funny because that would inspire competition outside of the actual point of it which would be getting your 90 day xp invite i'm just funny. I'm sure people would go yeah <laughs> but would go for top xp because top xp is you know it's correlated to events but it's also correlated to winning <laughs> i think it's a good mm, idea let's say <laughs> yeah fellas let's do it we'll, we'll talk about it we'll shout out the people at the top of their leaderboards then. yeah that would be fun that'd be fun that, that would really make people grind that'd be that'd be fun yeah it would anyway all right should we move on to the main topic of the pod mm-hmm uh i'm calling you know i called the the title of this pod i'm sure we'll change it before it releases but i was calling this antwerp road to nationals and gone him you know as my little intro said brendan didn't approve that's fine what? whatever didn't get a chuckle no i'm kidding uh but we are recapping some of the first weeks of road to nationals we're going to discuss the calling antwerp ultimate living legend of course and just our thoughts on this road to nationals meta so far so 
Road to Nationals results. I mean, in typical fashion, Brendan, I am almost certain as soon as we finish recording this pod, I'm in fact, I'm going to re- refresh the uh, homepage, <laughs> that week two Road to Nationals data will be up on the Fab TCG website. It's just, it's just, it's a rite of passage for us at this point in time that whenever we record, anything that we're waiting on will come out immediately after we stop recording. So at this point, we have week one of Road to Nationals data, which is the... Uh, this is the soft soft launch week. This mm-hmm. is the Europe and parts of uh, APAC. So, I mean, did just want to talk about some of kind of what uh, LSS had put up. Um, I mean, had you said, they didn't really put up like data. They just kind of talked about some of the, they put up a meta-analysis article actually, which is quite interesting. But um, again, just solidifies that Lexi, Ultim and Jerome I were really big favorites at these events. Uh, I really was hoping we'd see things like conversion data. You know, we love talking about Road to Nationals conversion data, mm. especially when it relates to illusionists. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's also, I guess in this article, they talk about cards like, a De- uh, sorry, heroes like Azuri, Katsu and Fai and kind of their place in the meta, which seems to be growing in that space. So first through two weeks of Road to Nationals, Azuri, Katsu and Fai have seen some success. Akadachi Fai took down a week on Road to Nationals. Um, people are picking up these decks as a potential way to you know, have have a good spread into the meta, but, you know, have a plan. Th- these players all seem to have plans into Lexi and Ultim, particularly Ultims that are maybe playing a bit more defensively. Ice, without Ice, it is a lot harder to disrupt decks like Katsu and Fai uh, in particular, and I think people start to to feel that. Um, and then it looked like Dorinthia and Kano had a, had a little bit of success. I know Kano won a road to Nationals uh, in that first week as well, which you'd be very excited about, Brendan. A lot of Kanos in Antwerp as well, which we'll talk about later. We'll talk about later. I won't get ahead of myself. I think that the best way to analyze the early road to nationals um, data and experience is just to go anecdotally based off your experience because you did win some road to nationals. So obviously you took Oldham um, in retrospect after winning those events. Do you think Oldham is just the objective best deck in the format and where do you feel like it's positioned relative to the rest of the meta, whether it's good matchups, whether it's bad matchups, what could change in the meta to make Oldham potentially not be the best deck if it is in your opinion? Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, just just to clarify, I didn't I didn't win both Road to Nationals, uh, but <laughs> I went to the finals of both. Uh, the I think the f- we spoke in the lead up to Pro Tour about whether or not Ultima would be the most played deck at the, the event. I think I stood on a hill and said it's it's the defining deck of this format, and I think it is the best deck. I just think it is the best hero, and the reason for that is diversity and what it can do. It can. You know, you could still go back to these ice builds of Ultim. You can adapt. You can be playing these more. We saw the fatigue version really sort of come through at certain points with like um, the what's the new card called that destroys a permanent? Forgetting the name, uh, but also with like the life gain sort of pieces to the deck as well. And then we've gone back to what we saw sort of win with Michael, which is this. You know, it has disruptive elements for for Lexi. He played a bit of ice, but it kind of also has this hybrid approach with just some good attacks and good defensive cards. So uh, there is like a ultimate can be built in so many ways. And I think that's why it's been so strong and why we're going to see it continue to be strong until at Living Legends and, you know, what, uh, just over a month. Yeah. So my follow-up is what could change that? What decks could show up? How could people adjust in order for that to maybe no longer be the truth? Yeah, I, I guess from my experience in Roach National so far, people haven't really shown up with those decks. People have been playing what they've seen, you know, what's been out there. So Lexi being by far the most played deck at, at the Roach Nationals I've seen and been at. Uh, and then Jeremiah and Ultim showing up in big numbers. In terms of some of the things that could show up, I mean, we started to see Fi show up. And the reason I think Fi is particularly relevant into this meta is the styles of Ultim maybe can't cope with Fi. That was definitely my experience. My, I mean, my two losses, my, my, my one loss on Sunday was to a Fi and uh, the same on, on Saturday as well. Like it is, it is a tough matchup for these styles of Ultim deck that people are playing. Um, I mean, I think you can adapt and you can go back. You know, people aren't playing Stalagmite as much. People, you know, we saw Pablo's list. He was like, I think he would have been super soft to a fight, to be to, to be honest. I'm not sure if he played any. Um, you know, Pablo, I'm sure. If anyone could never get it, Pablo could. But that, that matchup would be would be tougher. Uh, and I think outside of that, I mean, you know, decks like Kano, Icelander, they can they can combat Ultim in, in uh, yeah. ways. It's just whether those are viable in this format. Kano's, is, Kano's pretty decent about against this Ultim list, right? Because it is... So, 
it's so much more aggressive than some of the previous lists that we had seen. I don't know if that works in Kano's favor or not. I guess it just depends on the draw. Uh, because too much, I just, I wonder about the validity of Kano off the back of a road to nationals win and such a high representation of Antwerp. I think one of the highest calling representations we've ever seen in Kano. Um, do you think that that's... Only two made day two, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's par for the course. See, I mean, we talk shit about Illusionist <laughs> having a bad conversion rate. Let's talk about just Kano across the board. Usually kind of bad. No. Well, no, 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 no. Not, well, I mean, not a pro tour, is it? Yes, yeah, I was going to yeah, say Worlds as well. I'm for sure it had, had, Worlds had a really good conversion rate as well. Worlds so. and pro tours has been okay. I mean, maybe after pro tour <laughs> Baltimore, it has less less of the high conversion rate. But um, yeah, but, sorry. I, I, I'm immediately grabbing onto the Kano statement and just running with of it. Of course. <laughs> what do you think about the validity of that pick in, in this format? So I guess... I'm going, to extrap- I'm going to expand a little bit just beyond Kano rather than just talking about specifically Kano. And I'm going to talk about these kind of fringe decks or people's, you know, won't, for lack of a better term, pet decks or decks that they're really familiar with. We can use Kano and yeah, Brand as an example. Decks. You know, just, yeah. just, to keep, just to keep them happy. Just to keep them happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're really viable right now because you can pick a lane. Like, I think the, as the card pool grows... At least for a lot of the heroes, you can you can pick a lane and you can target what the meta is doing because there's Ultim, there's Droma, and there's Lexi, and I think you can build decks that can target two of those three pretty easily in almost every hero, to a degree. You know, maybe you're not going to be like seventy percent favored, but you can get yourself to maybe having really good plans and 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 feel maybe somewhat favored in these matchups. I guess the the difficulty is what kind of ultimate you're expecting. Are you expecting something like Michael Feng won the PT with, which has this little bit of ice, has proactiveness? Are you expecting what Pablo played, which is you know really targeting Lexi? I would say. Are you expecting some sort of hybrid? Are you expecting people to go back to full like full on ice and start to really target Lexi and and the mirror, but maybe give up Jerome Ice? So. It, that's an interesting piece but anyway what i'm saying something like kano i mean we saw reiner top top eight yeah. in antwerp um we've seen you know fires win we've seen azuri's win uh, over this past two weeks so um yeah i think basically what i'm saying is that i think you can kind of craft these decks regardless of what quote-unquote tier they sit in in people's eyes to at least have good plans into a couple of the decks in the meta and road to nationals they're going to be somewhat open although lexi Ultim, Jeremiah clearly seem to be the, the top three favorite decks right now for people to pick up and play. It doesn't, you know, in a road to nationals, it's a lot more open than say a invite only event like a pro tour. Like people are going to play a higher spread. You're going to have Azuris there. You're going to have Katsus. You're going to have Fires. You're going to have people on their Dorinthias. You know, it was like two Riptides at my event on, on Saturday, I think. Like, you know, people are going to play these heroes. Yeah, I think by filter for picking a deck for road to nationals, the first thing I would consider would probably be Lexi, even though you say Ultim is the best deck and it's having success. I just believe that Lexi would probably be more upset, to, at least in my region, for sure. Definitely in my region. Um, so I'd be thinking about Lexi first. And that that's really what pulls me off, like the Icelander, a deck that I have a bit of an affinity mm. for, is I, I don't want to play. Yeah, matchup is awful. It's disgu- it was bad before, and now it's worse. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I just, that's what's crazy is I, I saw some, I think, I don't know if Icelander won a few or if I saw some people doing well on Twitter with it, but I, I know Icelander definitely put up at least some performances, mm-hmm. and that really surprises me in the context of a Lexi-dominated meta. Uh, yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like, these events are open. Like, you're right. Like, Lexi, anecdotally, seems like it's been the most represented deck at road to national so far and it's not surprising right it's it's uh it's an aggro deck mm-hmm. it is not as linear as previous aggro decks it's harder to play but it has f- so much damage it has these amazing sort of like ways to play and play patterns it's it's really enjoyable for a lot of people i mean it's it's very different ranges have always had this kind of thing about them you know popularity but maybe not being as popular so uh sorry as good but now we you know codex and you know this kind of lexi deck and all these other pieces that it's been been given um people are going to play it and i rightly so but in saying that doesn't mean you know what's it realistically going to be at an event what was it at the pro tour it was 20 percent of the field or something it's not going to be you know it's probably going to be more like 10 percent of the field at your nationals you can avoid the lexis and make a top four it might be harder to win an event you probably have to play lexi at some point but you know so i can see why people are, are choosing certain decks and, and finding success as well yeah, I think that maybe in general, let me know if you think this is wrong. In general, the meta representation at a pro tour should be more narrow than a meta representation at something like a road to nationals. 100%, like significantly. And I would say like calling would be 
a, a calling would be similar, right? Mm-hmm. Like it would be similarly distributed very, very wide, especially on day one. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about? You want to jump into the calling, the calling Antwerp? Uh, I mean, we can, I would love to see some conversion data on Dromai. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I, I mean. We can talk about it in Antwerp. It, its conversion was not particularly great. Uh, I guess the other kind of like yeah, picks if just talking road to nationals of people are looking for maybe something outside of the. First of all, if you are familiar with aggressive sort of linear decks or ranger, mm-hmm. pick up and play Lexi. It is it is so good. Um, I really, if you're looking for a place to start, I think I liked Gabe's list from the top eight. I'm sure they'll be out soon. The other list, if those lists aren't out yet. Uh, from Antwerp is if you go back to Max um, his Pro Tour top 8 list uh, from Germany I thought his list was really good he positioned quite well for the mirror um, so I can I can recommend that been using it in my testing uh, you know Ultim's a great choice you know if you're familiar with Dromai I would only be picking up Dromai if you're really familiar with it or maybe you want to go and pick up uh, Ian's amazing guide honestly no this is not <laughs> yeah, t- some- tell the uh, tell the story yeah this is not a plug for just like the Patreon but this is actually outrageous so Good friend of the show, editor Dave. We were playing some some matches. He's going to road to nationals this week. He's like, he can't play nationals because he's he's on a he's on a personal trip. So he's like, ah, oh, maybe I'll just play something you know I haven't played before. He's like, maybe I'll play Dromai. And I was like, oh, like um, I have you know Ian's provided this this great guide for us. Like check it out. Um, here's the deck list. I kid you not. First time this guy picks up Dromai, goes, wow, this this deck is amazing. Like it's so super detailed. He goes, okay, this out, this how I play it. Immediately beats me on Ultim. I'm just like, what what is going on? <laughs> um so you know i think that's a that's a good place to start uh and then i would say like i think Fi, i think azalea is actually still a really good pick especially if you're expecting a lot of like a high density of of lexies uh yeah yeah to show up um then i think azalea is a great pick and azuri if you've got familiarity with the deck also we can talk about antwerp though okay well let's talk about the top decks on day one um i don't have the total number but i'm not going to count it up because i have individuals so number one played deck lexi 133 players second most played deck jermai and we're going to dig into that and 91 players old him 63 katsu 40 azalea 40 dash 39 briar 37 azuri 36 bravo 35 i mean this just keeps going down the line there's so many at this like sort of Number four deck. They're all basically neck and neck. This Azalea Dash, mm-hmm. Briar, Azuri, Bravo, Viserai, and you know, Fi is the first and one. Yeah, Fi is the first one to trail behind. Uh, yeah, I mean, this looks like what you would expect. I think more Jermai than I would expect, but that makes sense after after coming off the back of the Pro Tour. Jermai had some very good results. People have gone sort of gone up on the deck since then. Old him only at sixty three. Definitely surprising. Uh, Hayden, for you, what stands out most about this data? uh i think the so that's that's a bit more briar than i expected but europeans have had an affinity for for briar i think we saw it in in leal in particular and, and have kind of seen it i i do think briar is you know I, I talked about it being a deck that um i would have taken to the pro tour you know that's a lot of azuri as well 36 uh viscerai has really seen a bump i think you know zach barnes done some some wonders for viscerai there with royal viscerai and, and taking it to a calling top eight Katsu at 40 and you know along with Azalea is is maybe not surprising given what we know about mm, the European yes. you know a lot of the Polish taking yeah. it hat like half the uh, team the, I think took it to yeah Baltimore. yep uh the one that's maybe surprising me is like where you get the steep drop off where like fire at 22 I actually expect to see a bit more fire this weekend in Antwerp you know we've been talking about in our circles as maybe a a good pickup for the for the upcoming weekend um you know we'd seen these Kadachi fires return uh you know potentially just a way to I know people are playing like breaking point in the deck, like just ways to attack Lexi, but also ways to potentially attack Ultim and, you know, traditionally just a very good matchup into to Jeremiah. So uh, those are probably the, the ones that stand out. I'm not surprised about, you know, that, that amount of Lexi makes perfect amount of sense. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not that surprised about the amount of Ultim as well, I think, because of, I think, at the the Pro Tour as well, just the popularity of Jeremiah. And just, I think a lot of people just would default to, to Lexi and, and I, I don't blame them. I mean, it surprises me because Ultim won the Pro Tour. It's funny, the the, the rhetoric and narrative post-Pro Tour is still... It, I think that on aggregate, it's still that Lexi was just like the best, most premier deck, and a lot of mm-hmm. other decks are reacting to that. I mean, it's what a lot of people came away with after so many Lexi made the top eight. But the other day, Ultim won the tournament. I think Ultim won the tournament pretty convincingly as well. And I think if we looked back to past Pro Tours, if there was competitive events after, we'd see... The number one, the deck that won the previous Pro Tour Worlds being more representative. So, Ultima 63 does does surprise me because I agree with you. I think that 
our assessment prior to the Pro Tour that Ultim was the meta-defining deck and the sort of most powerful well-rounded deck in the in the format ended up being correct. Yeah, I mean, top four at World, uh, sorry, PT was one Lixie. Only one Lixie made it through to the semifinals, and that was from a Lixie mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, um, I guess it's kind of almost like inverse. We saw uh, an Ultim finish first, two Dramais in the top four, and then Lixie, you know, one, one copy in the top four. But, yeah, I mean, Lixie is really, really good. It's enjoyable to play. People enjoy playing it. The other consideration I think people have for a deck like Ultim at a, an event like a Calling is, like, depending on what kind of list you're playing, are you actually worried about the clock? You know, maybe people don't have the experience in the Lexi matchup. We saw a two-hour Jeremiah semifinal uh, at the Pro Tour. You know, are people actually, were they legitimately just worried about playing the clock a little bit? I mean, my experience has been it's, it's not an issue, uh, but, you know, maybe people didn't want to pick up and play Jeremiah for that reason. Uh, sorry, Alton for that reason, and people went to decks like Lexi or I mean, d- d- the other one that's really surprising is Dash at 39. My, Dash my personal calling, take is... The Pro Tour calling, yeah. the biggest calling ever. Dash one, they're calling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is these things happen in Flesh and Blood all the time. There's decks that you and I will think are borderline unplayable to format. It will have this amazing performance and the community at the same time, like they won't really react to it. And I guess we don't as well. We didn't give a lot of credence to Dash winning the biggest calling ever. Uh, we talked about we it. We talked but, about I mean, it, but we're not going at like, is Dash the best deck? Maybe were we wrong? We never considered that. Uh, and I think that this sort of, you know, the results in the calling answer reaffirm our stance, but there's a legitimate conversation <laughs> to be had that the the premier event, I think, for this constructed format was that calling instead of the Pro Tour. I think that was the better source of data you could have. And Dash won the entire thing. No, look, I mean, shout out to uh, to Merrick, right? Like, uh, amazing run. And my personal take is that, and from testing, is that Dash is in a really bad spot uh, right right now. But you know what? Dash can win any game. Mm. That's the thing. Like, Dash can win any any game. I mean, we saw, shout out to Chan Lato. We saw Reiner win say. at the World's Calling as well. Speaking you know, of, like, speaking these of callings, a spot. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. These, these callings attached to uh, large you know, to Pro Tours and, and Worlds, these pro events, uh, getting interesting. The last two have been won by two decks that people didn't initially have on their radar, right? That people think are, are pretty poor. But also, I mean, look, hey, Rhino topped, uh, top tier in Antwerp as well. Prism on the calling in uh, Pro Tour Lille. I think Prism was sort of yep. a dog deck in that format. Not not like dog isn't bad, but it was an underdog. <laughs> like it, it was an awkward spot yeah, it was for an it awkward because spot. of how much aggro. Yeah. US Nationals. Cheerios Briar meta, Michael Hamilton wins the calling on old him, which yeah. people now is like, oh, obviously. No, back then that was that, <laughs> that was groundbreaking. Um, but hey, yep. I just, I just want to bring this up. So talking about decks that are in a bad spot, let's talk about the top eight here. So we have old him, two old hims, three Lexis, one Azuri, one Azalea, and one Reinar. And there was only eight Reiners that showed up to it. Yeah. What, what an first of all, what an awesome top eight. Really good spread, I think. Um Cool to see Azuri up there. It was great to watch uh, Sebastian's matches as well. I managed to catch uh, the final. Uh, and I think there was one other camera game that, that he got that I saw as well. You know, Lexi obviously just proving how good Lexi is. That semifinals match between George and Pablo was, you know, it it, it could have been really close. It could have, it could have gone differently, I think. And um, Pablo navigated it well. Gabe in there. Uh, apparently, his game was very close into Azuri as well. Apparently, got a little bit betrayed by three of a kind draw uh, in the, the dying throws of the game. And yeah, I mean, Reiner, obviously. Uh, I know there was like a, I think Reiner beat one of Pablo's teammates in a, in a winning in. Azalea, like I say, still a good pick. Um, so I, I think a really cool and diverse top eight. Um, but you'll notice, I mean, no, no Dromai, no Katsu, no Dash. <laughs> yeah, this Katsu deck that the. The Polish team was running at the Pro Tour. It wasn't a Katsu deck with nine flick flags. It was a Katsu deck with three red flick flags, and it was a very aggressive Katsu deck. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if anybody's been running a different build, running more of a mid range um, or a more defensive build, you know, really exploiting something like flick flack. Um, but yeah, Dramai. There's v- many different variations of Dramai running around, um, especially off the back of the Pro Tour. 91 show up, zero make it to the top eight. Is Dramai a bad deck, Caden? Well, <laughs> before I answer that, let's look at the let's look at the day two conversion. So, uh, you know, you go through. I think there's about six hundred odd players, uh, roughly at 
at this event, 600, I think it was 640 odd, um, with 133 going through to, to uh, sorry, no, not 133. How many are on day two? I don't know the day two number, but I've got the, the total, like what, what converted. So um, Lexi was 20% of the field on day two. And then, uh, sorry, on day one, it was 27% of the field on day two. So really good conversion from Lexi there. Um, Ultim had the second best conversion, 25% of the field on day two and then yeah Jeremiah really dropped off so it was like 23 Lexi 21 Ultim 7 Jeremiah on day two really sort of fell away um some of the better conversion came from Fi and Reinar they had two 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 apiece it was one Kano one Dash uh, five Azalea six Katsu six Bravo so the 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 I guess the percentage representation didn't change too much for most decks but there was a couple of outliers and and ultimate draw my for different reasons are the ones that really stand out there uh i've been putting off the question is draw my bad deck no i i don't i don't think it is i think draw my is really hard to play i think draw my is not a deck you just pick up and play even if you have reps with it it's still super difficult it's not an autopilot deck you're always making decisions like if i take the ultimate versus draw my matchup for example i think as ultim there's a couple of different plans you can employ depending on what sort of list you're playing but you're kind of playing the same way through most of the game. The Droma is the one who has to make all the decisions. It's the same with Lexi, to be honest. The, the Lexi's like, okay, where's my Endless Arrow? Here's my plan for Dragons. Droma's got to adapt and, and kind of play to, depending on how the Lexi draws and, and what the game sort of unfolds like. So, you know, your Ash management, you've got to like, first of all, you've got to have the right list, I think. I mean, most of the lists are pretty solidified at this point. There's kind of two really key versions. But yeah, it's not easy to play. I don't think it's a bad deck. I think, you know... I checked out this guy from Ian as well. I think he has it down, nailed down how to play these matches. But even he says in the, in the interview you did with him, you know, it's not easy to play and you are consistently adapting and, and trying to navigate the game state. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I just love asking questions like that. Because put you in the spot. I mean, if you, look, <laughs> if you took it on data only, um, we can even, oh, it's a bad deck. Yeah, it's a bad deck. <laughs> and even so, if you took it on data only pre Pro Tour, you would have entered the Pro Tour saying it's a bad deck. It was it was so it's performing so bad on the West Coast, like abysmal. But the data just it doesn't tell the entire story. We see two Jeremiah's in top eight. Yeah. Jeremiah almost wins the entire tournament. So it's a legit deck. Um, I just agree with you. It, like <laughs> it certainly has to be hard to play. There's something that's got to be something that's got to be missing for the vast majority of people on this deck that just seem to not never have success with it. Yeah, I look. I mean, yeah, Dr- Dromai. My takeaway is Dromai is really powerful. I think we continue to see Dromai be really prevalent in this format i think ultim living legend is a really good thing for Dromai, just as we kind of wrap this up mm-hmm. um you know we didn't see any in in the top eight but from what i understand just looking at the standings uh there was Dromai's hanging around the top tables it just you know lexi and ultim really dominated kind of day two and then some other players with some really good plans probably into those heroes you know something like reiner uh something like azuri who had a good plan you know really good plan into lexi were pre- prepared and they had a good day too so not surprised I can't wait for the day when you finally put your money where your mouth is and take Reinar to a to a high level event. You're supposed to be the Reinar guy. And everybody else is winning callings, top eight in callings with Reinar, and you're just playing these meta decks, dude. It's, uh, well, I need help from these players because I just can't do it. <laughs> hey, it's not like I haven't tried, you know. I, well, I took Reinar to a calling top four in Blitz. <laughs> All right. Old him equals gone him. Your your sort of phrase uh, phrase of the episode here. What are your what are your thoughts and feelings? Your first gut reaction. Someone who just had a lot of success with Ultim. Are you gonna miss your boy? A lot of success. Look, this is my first time really picking up and playing Ultim. And I think I I started with Guardian. So Bravo was the first deck I built up for Classic Constructed. Uh I I enjoyed that play style. I think it got old very quickly for me. And I kind of haven't played much Guardians in a long time outside of testing uh and and being, you know, gauntlet decks, etc. It was, it's been fun to go back to playing some ultimates, really diverse, the way you can build it. The games never look too much the same, um, especially in mirror matches, which I think are really interesting. I don't know what it's going to look like for the format. I think Dust of Dawn is really going to, it's going to really depend on what Dust of Dawn looks like. I think Ultim leaving is a great thing for the other two, mm. quote unquote, top decks in the format in the form of Lexi and um, Dromai, that we yeah. just spoke about. So, 
you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that Lexi is just going to be too dominant? Does that mean mm. that, you know, Dromai has, can really just focus on beating Lexi and then everyone has to, you know, maybe, maybe aggro returns, right? Yeah. You know, maybe we see the return of these really proactive aggro decks. You know, we saw it in Lille because Prism kept down Ultim that these aggro decks flourished. Is that the kind of meta we're going to go into? I, I really don't know, but I'm, I'm interested to see. Dust or Dawn is going to have, I think, the opportunity to have a really, really massive impact. We talked about the, how big the impact of, of Outsiders was. Dust Dawn has the opportunity to be the biggest impacting set to date because of I think it coincides again with a living legend of a of a really prominent hero. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> Hayden, you and I were talking about this off off air, or we're going to call this. Um, we were talking about Dust Dawn, and I, I genuinely hope that they just kind of print something a little bit broken again. I I, I just want to feel <laughs> uh, something so badly. Um, we, just let me feel. We've done. We've gone through a bit of a muted power level um i think post tails um yes yes post tails icelander obviously very very good deck don't get me wrong five good deck um dynasty low power level outsiders outsiders is a high power level i mean really brought the rangers into the spotlight and i think some of those you know but it's not crazy right we don't have chain no i kind of disagree yeah, i don't know i think go that, play your riptides and your azuris uh, and your arachnes and I think Azuri looks really good as Ultim heads out. Uh, yes, that's the one we didn't talk about. I think Azuri gets a massive bow. Because uh, honestly, my experience with like Azuri has been their Ultim matchup is just, it's it's so unfun and it's it's rubbish. So <laughs> Ultim leaving, Azuri can absolutely dominate the aggressive decks. Uh, it's had to build in a slightly different way to, to combat Ultim. But now you just have to care about Dromai and you can build to just take care of aggro decks. Yeah, I think that Azuri is... Uh the biggest stonks for me that go up is uh, is definitely yeah, a sleeper. Yeah, bit of a sleeper. I mean, I just remember seeing Tao Tao's deck uh, when when we were watching the Pro Tour and just absolutely yeah. dismantle these Lexis. And I was just like, okay, well, what is he going to do about Oldham? He's like, yeah, how about that? I was like, okay. It's a good pick for the tournament, but as Oldham rotates out, it might be just a good pick overall. Um, looks really, really good yes. for Azuri. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree with you. I mean, yeah, not much else to say. Uh, Dust of Dawn is fast approaching. Let's talk about. Let's talk about it real quick. Do you think that uh, what what power level? I don't know. Give me a flavor, right? Spicy, muted, mild. Give me what kind of flavor do you think the power level of the new Rune Blade is going to be, and the power level of um, the new Illusion Light Illusionist? Do you think that they're going to be? You think we're going to feel something? So you just spoke about kind of where power level in the game is gone and i've said this multiple times on the pod i've spoken about it i feel like till i've gone red in the face about monarch and tales of aria being these really powerful spike mm-hmm. sets that lss i think consciously wanted to reset afterwards which is move away from uprising yes still very good heroes but the, the power level was different right um and then as you move through into dynasty i mean again power level significantly reduced so I think sort of a change after Everfest mm-hmm. would probably be where you point to. Uh, and then with with Dynasty, people you know they, people focus on Codex. Like oh, Codex, the, you know the the return on this card is insane. The overall power level of the set is 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 really not that high, right? Like it is a lot more about kind of interesting mechanics and um, creativity of how you use. What do you think about like lace with fr- or lace with blood rot, infecting shot, stuff like that? Do you think that those are just par for the course in terms of power level? Or are they slightly pushed? Uh, I mean, so if you go to sort of like uh, looking at a matrix on the card, I guess they, I mean, they defend for for two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they provide you potential zero for five, right? What does snatch do? You know, like it, it's. It, it's all contextual i think in terms of and you see you know lexis have chosen not to run these cards because they don't fit in the style yes they're good in azalea but even azalea's only run they don't run nine of right so um you know the card's good but is it like significantly pushed comparative to other cards out there no i I don't think so Mm. okay uh what was the question? What were we talking about? Oh, the 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 flavor, the flavor of uh, the spiciness. Yeah, you yeah. want to, you know, get that peri peri. Uh, that what do you call it? That Nando's chart out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not super impressed with what we've seen from the Shadow Room Blade Same. so far, but that's because I'm comparing it to Chain, right? You know, the flail, eh, yeah, fine, whatever. The Eloquence token that was. I mean, we should have really, really should have spoken about some spoilers, some preview cards uh, in the top of the show but we didn't but the eloquence token you know this ability to give non-attack actions go again i heard that uh tomes got buyouts yesterday tome of fiendale got buyouts after people saw eloquence token 
I mean, that's interesting to me. The the chain, the sort of the sorry, the shadow room blade stuff we've seen so far. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's a specialized weapon, a specialization weapon with the flail, which is, you know, interesting. I'm I'm interested to know why that's a specialization. Um, is that something that Alice is going to go forward with? You know, these kind of not only is it signature weapons, you get specialized weapons. I hope not. Uh, but the the light illusionist. I mean, you know, we've got we've seen the weapon, which is you know you you can pay two to give you a herald go again, right? Um, yeah, people love that one on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, people were uh, a bit disappointed, I guess. So, I, I don't know. It obviously looks like they've been really careful to not make this Monarch 2.0, right? Like, they are being really considerate of what the power level is going to mm. be. Okay. Do you think that the design decision post Tales of Aria to go for a lower, maybe more muted power level is the correct decision? Or do you think that it is beneficial for the game not saying beneficial for the meta <laughs> beneficial for the game to yeah. maybe revisit some of the power level and just craziness that we had in those tales of aria and monarch sets it's such a tough one i mean i've gone back and forth on this i've said yes i've said uh maybe it's bad i, I think overall yes it is good because people want to play games of flesh and blood and people the kind of overall the quite overwhelming sort of feedback I think on these last two formats has been there have been enjoyable. You could play the decks you want. Games feel like games and Starvo didn't necessarily feel like that. Prism didn't necessarily feel like that. And while I disagree on some of those points and I think those heroes were in some ways good for the game, good especially at, at really high levels of the game, you know, I can understand the kind of overwhelming sort of, I guess, where we need to focus on the game is at, is at, you know, is at the armory level, is at the all these sort of like grassroots levels of the game and i think for that reason you know i would like to see them be really careful about the uh quote-unquote craziness and spiciness they go for but a little bit of it goes a long way yeah. and is really interesting and i think you know having things like kano having things like these kind of potential sort of like combo decks or decks that can break out you know going Going rain raises into three of a kind into this crazy four or five arrow turn, that is fun. That is cool. It doesn't happen that often. People love to do it. I think having these bits of spike is really interesting in the game. So yeah, just, just sprinkle a little bit on the top, you know, a little bit of chili on the top, but don't go too hard. Yeah, I think card gamers just inherently like doing busted stuff. Like for, sure. for some, it's weird because I think if you look at it from like a holistic design perspective it's just you know maybe chain wasn't good for the game maybe starvo was just objectively bad for the game but when all those things are stripped out of the game you've it could be nostalgia but you are left wanting you're like please let me banish eight cards off the top of my deck and play five or six of them there's just something about that the thing about chain is you just i didn't feel like there was a single tcg on the market where i could get that same experience and i loved that um i was uh, you could probably make the argument that the flesh and blood experience you can't get anywhere else because the way the resource system works and how balanced it is but yeah i'm with you that i would like i think i would like to see some push cards i think i want my i think i want my scalata derivative back. Scalata. yeah i knew you were <laughs> gonna a say meme. it it's a meme it's a meme <laughs> so scalata i've just been i just meme every time brian posts about something <laughs> unbanned scalata um but yeah i would like to see some of that stuff again um i could be wrong i think that if we revisit it the second time they do it again and we we have the full perspective. We can be like, this is not good for the game. But uh, I would say that nostalgia is creeping in. I'm like, please give me a Scalata. Please give me a chain. I give you a little like Scalata at home. Uh, here, here's the dichotomy, right? Mm -hmm. For for I guess this discussion is like you said, players like card game players, TCG players like doing busted stuff. You know what they also don't like is playing into busted stuff. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, getting nutted by busted stuff. So it's a real catch twenty two, right? And I think. The way that Lexi's been done, or, you know, the way that kind of Ranger with some of these cards in this meta feels a bit more appropriate to me. Um, you know, even something like Kano, that feels a bit more fair. Maybe even Icelander. It's tough. It's a fine line, right? There's always going to be people on either side of it, and you want to try and get the line as close to kind of the middle as possible, right? And that is the challenge. Well, in I'm going to be a good contact right here and say, what do you all think? Let us know in the comments below. What do you think that LSS should do in something like Dust Till Dawn? Should, should we bring back, let's say, 75% chain power level 75 percent prison power level is that what you would like to see in dust till dawn or do you want to see more of an outlines power outsiders power level which i think was a good set i think it was a power salt powerful set brought some heroes into the limelight but you know nothing like tales of Aria and nothing like monarch let us know yeah and is vent and banshee busted <laughs> yeah no <laughs> 
All right. Well, that's it for this week. We, If you are listening to this on podcast platforms, there's a video version on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. Hayden and I are both on Twitter. I'm at Brendan APG. Hayden mm-hmm. is at at Fiend underscore Dale. That's tongue twisted, that one. And of course, if you're interested, check out the Arsenal Pass Patreon. Tons of new content just came in. Brody's Lexi deck tech and Ian TCG's big Jermai deck tech. And like we talked about, Ulta moving out, Jermai stonks, they go up. Anyway, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. See ya.